0: Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Corporate Drinker, a punk rock HR production. In each episode, Corporate Drinker explores the intricate ties between work culture and alcohol. Now there's no judgment here. The podcast tells stories of regular people like you and me who may have complicated relationships with drinking. I'll talk to leadership gurus, therapists, addiction specialists, And even HR and marketing professionals who have hot takes on how and why alcohol and work have become so interconnected. And of course, I'll speak to brilliant people with big ideas on cultivating genuine cultures of inclusion and belonging, so leaders and employees can enhance their work environment and reduce unnecessary conflict with or without alcohol. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to my friend, Brian Wempin. Brian serves as the Chief Revenue Officer at Remble.com, an innovative platform using AI and a human touch to reshape mental health support. Brian's work at Remble is helping to make mental health assistance immediate, accessible, and personalized. Off the clock, Brian is a husband, a veteran, and an accomplished author. He's written insightful books such as Sober is Better, My Note to Self, and Note to Self, a collection of 99 life lessons. What's more exciting is that Brian has another book on the horizon. It's called Fuck My Demons, a next chapter in recovery, and it adds to his candid exploration of sobriety and recovery. Today, Brian's on the show because we're delving into his story. Spoiler alert, he was a drinker. And we talk about the significance of a recovery mindset, the transformative power of kindness, and the need for self-compassion. I don't know if you know this about me, but whenever I'm feeling out of sorts, Brian is in my personal board of directors, and he helps me ask better questions about my interactions and my activities. And honestly, I always leave our conversations feeling grounded. So sit back today, relax, and enjoy this chat with the one, the only, my good buddy, Brian Wempin. hey brian welcome to the podcast
1: hey lori i'm glad to be here
0: well before we get started with all things corporate drinking of which i would say you know a thing or two about um why don't you tell us who you are and like what you do for a living
1: sure brian wimpen i live in beautiful santa fe new mexico my lovely wife michaela my my partner in crime and i am a i am an i'm an author i am a in recovery and i work in healthcare technology trying to 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 make an impact in in people's lives and and do something relevant with my own life
0: Mm. well we're going to talk about it all today got this amazing and powerful story about addiction and recovery you've also had some fun along the way, but it's all fun and games until shit hits the fan. So do you mind like telling us what's gone on in your life and what brings you to where you are today? And I recognize that it's hard to do that in a couple of minutes, but I would love to hear the top line overview. Like what's your story?
1: So, yeah. So, you know, the, the kind of the longer version is, was just an uncomfortable, uncomfortable kid and started to find ways to Kind of remediate that comfort a bit and find ways to feel better and externally and started young and, you know, started, you know, I was, I kind of fall right in line with the national average on, you know, I started drinking at 13, 14 um, is where it started. Didn't wait. Do into- you remember
0: your first drink?
1: Oh, I remember several of my first drinks. Yeah. Like I was, I was, my first drinks are like I was five or six and then like really, more actively sort of quasi first drinking eight or nine. But the first time, the first time that I actually had the opportunity just to go all in and drink as much as want with no consequences was the first time I at 14, you know, blacked out, threw up, you know, dude, stupid shit was really hung over. Right. So that was the very first time that I had the opportunity to go all in and and do I stop because it feels like it's getting out of control or do I go all in? And I went, you know, I hit the gas like super, super hard. And that started then by 16, I was a daily drinker and was, thank goodness I was, I was not the best student, but I definitely wasn't the worst student. And so I kind of got left alone, was, you know, was a pretty good athlete and was a pretty decent person and was a hard worker and all that stuff. So I kind of just I checked all the boxes to where people always had other people. They were like getting on and and,
0: (laughs) just under the radar. (laughs) A hundred
1: percent. Like I've always, you know, that kind of just elongated not really having a ton of like significant consequences, like many, many, many wrecked cars. And then, oh, and then, but when I went to, you know, literally when I hit college is when I had another chance to do whatever I wanted. And so, I worked a lot, studied very infrequently, and then that, and then found, and then found drugs, and that just that put everything on like uh, like turbocharged uh spacex you know whichever one of those you want
0: to pick. <laughs> right you're on the elon musk track there <laughs> with your uh, addictions well wait wait a second i mean you found drugs and a lot of people would think okay you get out of college and you've been partying pretty hard there's no way you can enter into the corporate arena and succeed but that's not your story you've had a career
1: yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was fast. I mean, I always, you know, I, I grew up on a, I grew up on a ranch, right? So you just, you just working hard is just part of the deal. Like you don't really, like, you don't know any different. So I always worked hard, right? No matter what. Um, Sometimes it wasn't very productive, but I was always
0: putting Put in the t- hours. Yeah.
1: I always had multiple jobs and stuff. And so, you know, once I, i had a brush with overdosing right toward the end of college so i kind of was getting off the drug train because it kind of freaked me out a bit and so i you know but and then and then leaving college you kind of left your sources and so and and your, uh you know the folks you were running with that had access and and maybe were were, were not the best kind of uh, you know, guiding guiding principles uh, of individuals to be around at that point in time. And so I just I, and once I got removed, I just sort of stopped and again, the the brush with the OD kind of freaked me out. So I but I just drank actually more, right? That's all I did. I just switched to more more drinking, so that sort of picked up. But yeah, I lucked into, I lucked into a job, a you know, HR related job of all things, and, and um, what they needed was right in line with kind of how my personality worked and how my mind worked. And so I started with a very small company that was, I mean, fairly small, and it got, and over the course of the next seven years, I basically got promoted to literally up to like the third or fourth in charge. It took a public, I was on the board, like it was all these things. You know, just all these things was making it just a a sickening amount of money,
0: but you were but, but you were drinking,
1: oh my god. I was I surrounded myself with folks to kind of cover my back. and I put together a team, and I was always one of the top, if not the top performer in the company. Um, so that bought me a lot of unhealthy grace on all my all the things that. Should never be tolerated. Totally toxic. Um,
0: well, wait, wait, wait. Like what? Like you're drinking? Are you drinking with colleagues? Are you going out oh, drinking on company uh, time? Yeah, yeah,
1: hundred percent. Like I was, like I was taking, I was taking, you know, teams to the bar. You know, always the one, the last one to leave. And I really, the the a big part of this is I didn't really drink too much at home. I mainly drank out on the road, right, in a corporate environment. So you know, that was the place that I could just, and again, I was the one in charge, right? So they would, I mean, they would, you know, they would get me home. They would, you know, I was, I would fill and just so many things that were unhealthy. And and it was a very toxic culture to the company, which was only contributed to the fact that I could kind of do whatever I wanted.
0: Wait, that's really, wait, that's really interesting. A toxic company culture that you also leaned into heavily,
1: a hundred percent,
0: and made a little bit more toxic. Yeah,
1: they, they enabled. Yeah, and that's. I mean, one of the things that I have I have made a point to find some people that I I really did care about as colleagues, friends. I mean, I've made a point to kind of try and make amends for that time because I could have I could have been the one that was actually helping them and trying to d- develop my own skill set. I did not have good. You know, my mentorship was. Was good from a like critical thinking standpoint, but from everything else was absolutely not supportive of of moving my skill set up to like from a manager standpoint and from being a better human being standpoint was anemic like it didn't exist. It was very it was a very misogynistic culture. It was a very uh, the you know, when you got down to the core was a very racist culture, which. Good thing was the saving grace is I'm neither of those. So I didn't participate in any of that. Right. So I could be I had some I had some good things that were, thank goodness, innately in place that I made sure and was very protective of the things that was counterintuitive. Right. Like my area was like I I had zero tolerance for like things that you should have zero tolerance for. Right? Like Which that is
0: interesting. Options. That buys you the grace. Then when you do have some deficiencies, people are like, oh, he's a good guy. He's got my back. I'm going to have his back. 100%. Yeah, right? I see that. I see that. Well, it's interesting because you're at that company, but your career doesn't end then. I mean, you go on to do other great things, right? And you're still drinking, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah no, it was like it really got because I mean, I was young and I was making, like I said, I was making a small fortune every two weeks. And, you know, that's a horrible co- combination. And, and just getting unhappier, you know, getting unhappier, you know, week by week, month by month. So when I got done with that, it took a few years to kind of decompress from that. And I wasn't in recovery yet. So I wasn't gaining any skills to deal with stress and life and relationships and and, and in communication in a healthy way. I didn't have any of those skills. I was just a fucking train wreck. And so it just it always looked like I was just fairly solemn with my mood, you know, my mood, but it was just, the underpinnings was all so miserable. So, yeah, so I left and went on um, to buy part of a, uh, buy part of a HR software company. It was small and then we basically built that a bit and we ended up, I ended up merging that with uh, my part of it with, uh, with another HR software company that got a little bit bigger and then left and then went to work for, you know, another one and, but, you know, kind of just parlayed that into, you know, just the different relationships and multiple technology companies and and all those things. And so finally, finally got, I find, and the the thing is it never, like there were periods where it got worse and better and worse and better and worse and better, but, you know, just, there was a common theme that it was never going to get better. You know and i tried to to moderate in every way that's possible you yeah know, and the- we
0: met during that period so you would have ups and downs and and i i saw it i experienced some of that with you at different events at different conferences and in talking to you sometimes things didn't seem so dour you know you weren't so sad and that could have been the effects of alcohol and then sometimes you just seemed so sad but the entire time i knew you you seemed like such a warm Wonderful human beings. So that came through, I and yeah, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, because we actually—you're one of the handful of people that I actually met, and uh, like in the like in kind of the HR, kind of social media space slash, just with the beginnings of that. That I actually met that I drank with
0: mm-hmm. before
1: I I got into recovery. So Fuck, it, we
0: drank. We drank.
1: And I and I actually, it's funny because I have a picture. I only have like two pictures. I didn't have a lot of pictures. And I but I have a picture of us in uh actually in London, uh at a bar uh together, you know, drinking. So messy,
0: messy. Rare. Oh my goodness.
1: Rare. <laughs> <laughs> so I I hold that, but I you know what, I hold that in um very high regard because that was just literally so almost three months to the day that I well and you know the interesting thing is I think you were in Chicago so you were there you were there the the last day that I ever did drink.
0: Oh my gosh is that true? What was that day?
1: It was May 8th 2010 and we were at an event in Chicago that was one of the unconference things like in that second floor, very, that second floor called like the.
0: Oh, the, I remember this. It was like at the jewel box or something stupid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was on a second floor in, in Chicago and cause the night before the, well, the first night there were, we were at uh, like, I don't know, like the wit had like a, uh, and I, you know, it's real crystal. There's a lot of, it's really crystal clear because it was miserable, just miserable miserable and I'm 99% sure or and 90% sure you were there. My goodness.
0: Um, so what was it about that night that was like, I'm fucking done? Because let me tell you, every time I go to an HR conference and I drink, I'm like, I'm fucking done, you know, because I have to, especially back in the day, I would have to drink so much in order to just make that experience palatable for me. So what, what was going on with you? I
1: couldn't, couldn't tell you. I don't know. There was, you know, part of it was part of it was a reality that it's interesting. It's a good conversation. There was a lot of people that I knew there. And there wasn't anything like super, super significant that happened, you know, but there were like stayed up, you know, was up late and at the bar and sent a uh, a couple text messages that I wasn't super proud of, that was a little out. Uh, character, nothing. nothing that was like nothing that was horrible or tragic in a respect, just probably a bit disrespectful. I think that's probably a better way. We um,
0: all have sent those text messages. God. So yeah, especially in 2010.
1: And so I I think, you know, to this day I'm very grateful that it was nothing that I I've got, you know, just
0: yeah, you're was, not canceled.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not canceled. So <laughs> So, but it was one of those that I had a reality, one I felt got awful the next day, but I had a reality that social media and the communication mechanisms were changing the visibility of what I had worked a lifetime to hide. And it just, I just had this like moment that it's like, I'm either going to do something horrible and, and drive and kill somebody the option is to kill myself or I could maybe try the third option. And I'd, I'd met people and had friends that were in recovery. Maybe I could try recovery. And so I definitely went with that option first. And, and that was, you know, again, that was like, I called, you know, I called somebody the very next day and and said, Hey, can you, can I meet with you and have coffee and I want to kind of talk this through, because it was somebody that had I knew very, very well that had like a a decade of recovery. and and it was uh, a guy. and And his story was <laughs> his story was off the hook, right? Like he had and and you would never guess it to this day in 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 a million years. but his story was as wild as you can possibly get. And other than, you know, a long term prison sentence, that was the only thing that he probably didn't have.
0: Wait, isn't that always or often how it is? You know, people who don't look the part have played the part in private.
1: A hundred percent. Like I there are so many people that um, especially, you know, it's older people like I, I know a lot of people that are sick with 60 isn't that much older anymore but 60 70 80 years old that have been in recovery and they start when they tell their story you just can't it's hard to reconcile because you know them as like this older man or older woman that is really put together because they have 30 40 50 years of recovery and you're like holy shit that is awesome that you're alive yeah
0: yeah i was just thinking about like every aa experience i've had i've gone into these meetings where people have told stories by the way they always involve either killing someone shit in their pants peeing on themselves like i mean they're just crazy stories and you're like oh my god you're a cfo (laughs) you know like what how how are you successful you know it's amazing it's amazing Uh,
1: uh, and i that's part of what i i you know people in recovery and, and you can really very quickly know that because stuff that is just send people sideways and into turmoil when you tell a story that you know mainstream society would just be you know borderline appalled and maybe traumatized a bit by hearing those things and you know if you're in a group of people that have have tried recovery, been in recovery, part of recovery. I mean, shit's funny. It's got to be funny because if it's not funny, then it becomes weighty and weighty becomes, you know, uh, dangerous. So you got to let that stuff go. You can't hang on to it. That's one of the core things that I've learned. You have to let shit go and figure out a way to move past it. Even if it's, it's not my business, right? I have to let it go. I can, I can only have so much of a percentage of sanctimonious feeling of injustice in the world because I don't have the capacity to carry that much. Like I can still be like, that's that's fucking wrong. That's bullshit. And that person or the people doing that are complete pieces of shit. I it's all right to say it, but I gotta let it go. I can't hang on to that because things attached to it. That's my personality, right? Like the one is good, but five is always better. It, it it equates to bad things too, right? If I have negative feelings, five more jump on immediately and just start to fuel. It starts to hit, it has, starts to hit all of those receptors that I I get this like weird charge about just being pissed. So I try to, try to not go there unless absolutely, absolutely that I have to.
0: Your background is interesting because it's really driven a passion for recovery and addressing, you know substance, abuse and misuse in the workplace. So can you talk about that and some of the work that you do today?
1: Sure. Oh, absolutely. That's um, every single day when you are aligned with kind of the mission in your life that interests you, even because I, I am definitely um, I'm definitely a bitcher and a moaner about things. I can get sideways, like I can get fired, I can get fired up about things because it's not the way that I think it should work, right? So that's a daily, that's a daily process and I'm like, okay, just chill out, right? It's let it go. So what helps is the fact that, so the company, I mean, I work for a company called Chess out that they, basically what they do is they have, they have built a evidence-based app that came out of the University of Wisconsin 10 years ago, a National Institute of Health Grant. And what it does is it provides 24-7 support for individuals in recovery through a provider relationship, right? So they're associated with some kind of treatment program, outpatient, uh, uh, intensive outpatient. So that 24-7 is basically monitored and facilitated by a group of certified peers that work virtually across the country. And so what the great thing is, is I I literally know everybody that that we I'm I'm basically over sales for uh, tribal health and also for about uh, five or six states, everyone that we get as a customer that then presents it to the clients they work with individuals. There's a good chance that we're we're definitely going to impact their life if they use it, but we got a good chance to save their life. And that makes what I do, no matter how tedious it can be on some of the, you know, some of the things I know that that, I mean, I get up and I'm like, okay I've got to make more calls. I've got to email. I got to get people's attention. I got to I got to get them to see the value so they can present these two individuals because there's so and we can save generations of people if we do this and so this is the first time that I've had it all aligned where like my lifestyle is aligned with what I get paid to do every day and that man that that solves a lot of like internal frustration and turmoil i'd let things go because i know the bigger mission is important. So you just got to keep going, keep going and not get quagmired down. So um, I feel very grateful to be able to do something that I actually get to talk to people all day long about recovery, literally all day long that they're in it or they're administrating it or they're helping people get in it or stay in it. Like that's what I do every single day. And that's that you know and make a pretty good living at it so that's uh that's pretty awesome
0: i you know i'm so glad to hear you say that you know because i think optimally that's where we all want to head right but we can still get bits and pieces of this in our lives. And I feel like one of the things that you did early was start writing about your experiences and create a platform for yourself as like an early way to align your work and your passions and your hobbies with how you wanted to change the world. So can you tell us about some of the things you've written about your book, about articles? Like, I also want to know what's it like to write about something that's so raw and close to the heart?
1: Sure no and I appreciate I appreciate the question and it was important you're exactly right. I mean I always wanted to write books because probably think a lot of myself I suppose um at times and so I figured I had a voice I could maybe help one or two people but I wanted to get it out there as something that was more tangible. so 2014 I think I started writing my first book, which, you did, you supplied some story, you know, a story for that, uh, a long, God, it's been almost 10 years ago. I now.
0: know, I know. And I'm a different yeah. kind of corporate drinker now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's funny how, how life changes. Right. Um, so that one was kind of my first, like my, uh, my first kind of entry point into understanding writing i am not a natural writer i don't have like the uh a lot of the fundamental basics like i you know we all know people that are uh probably yourself included that are really good writers i definitely am i am if if i get put in the average writing category i consider that a win uh, on a big big level um aren't we
0: always our worst critics but what i what i love about your writing is that it really drills home a point for me something i've learned from you is that thinking about wellness thinking about well-being isn't just like about buying technology it's not just about talking the talk right it's really about a broader strategy to create a more diverse and inclusive work environment i mean you were early to this brian you were thinking about this subject before it kind of got trendy so you know, I'm, I'm glad to see you were writing and thinking about this, but can you knit that together for us? Like a lot of people wouldn't think that belonging has anything to do with drinking. Right. And yet uh, the two go hand in hand. So tell me more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so the, what I shared in the writing, which was, you know, kind of an interesting process and, and incredibly scary and cathartic kind of at the same time, um, was the fact that the majority of my socializing all had to do with corporate related events right that's really that was really the the taking off point in adulthood because that's really your social circle for the most part because that's who you spend your day with that's who you end up meeting people as an adult it's way more complex to actually make friendships. If you don't work with somebody, um, which I'm very thankful to have our friendship, um, because we never worked together.
0: No, no, we just hung out together in a weird way. I love it. It's perfect.
1: We did. We were in a movement, right? Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a bunch of nerd bloggers. Yeah, that's what we were. (laughs) Well, so you know, when you make all of your friends at work and you travel with them, I mean, it's just natural to wind up at the bar, right?
1: You know, and it's one of those things that unfortunately, you you kind of nailed that that is the common, that's the common pathway that there is, you know, you have indirect and you have very overt pressure That that's the place, right? All the events are happy hours, all of the spending time is, you know, especially younger. I mean, there's, you're kind of burning in these pathways that are definitely not fucking healthy right? But they're very socially today. I mean, they're very socially accepted. And that's one of the biggest problems is that that needs to, you know, that whole framework absolutely has to shift. There's other ways to do it. And, but from a social standpoint, like every, like turn the TV on, right? Like every single marketing direction and the overall society, it's very, very accepted to. know have the glass of wine have a couple beers you know just just do that thing right and with without a lot of alternatives being presented because that's the sexy that's the fun that's the you know youth oriented like all those things but it's
0: also like to my earlier point about drinking with colleagues or drinking at work events like i don't necessarily want to be with these people right so you know it's going to make that easier three mimosas or, you know, three cranberry martinis or whatever crappy sugary shit I'd been drinking in the past. Right. So it's almost like, all right, I got to do this. What's going to make it easier? And what would make it easier would be excusing myself and going to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, you know, it, the, you're you're spot on, right? There doesn't feel like there's alternatives and it doesn't feel like you're empowered. And again, this comes back to kind of leadership and setting culture from a corporate standpoint is the The going to bed versus the forced like bullshit camaraderie piece. sometimes, you know, again, there's sometimes that it that it is and it does make sense, right? But not all the time. Let people do their thing. and and again, that's just it's one of those things that it's getting now, especially because you like so we do I deal with uh, updates on fentanyl like every day, right. So it doesn't, you don't have the luxury, if you call it that, where, you know, you can go and dabble into social stuff as, you know, as an adult, because you're out partying or whatever, what gets put in front of you. Like that could be a one and done, right? That's like, that's a, that's popular or not. That's the, we'll call it the easy way out for some people. Otherwise you could just walk the very slow 20 year path to death, if you drink yourself or use yourself into, you know, an oblivion, Um, you know, there's just all those things.
0: So what are the strategies then like, you know, I think about all the events that I've been to all the work dinners, right? I mean, what are the innovative alternatives that you've seen companies implement to get away from that corporate drinking culture?
1: Yeah, they're far and few between, unfortunately. Um,
0: yeah, you could. we can leave it at that because I think that's accurate. I
1: mean, that's, I don't, that's the saddest point with that. And the good thing is you do have some companies and I don't have it firsthand, right? But you have some companies that are very focused on more about humanity and more about changing like redirect like just shifting what those frameworks have been have happened in the past because what happens is you get people drinking and then you get people making you know uh, substance you know substance related basically misbehaving because they're under the influence of it right and so what that happens is Probably the you know I would say the majority the majority happen you know whether majority is sixty percent or eighty percent or whatever happens to you know men doing it to female mm. like it's not exclusive but it's a hell of a big yeah, percent.
0: it's it's heavily favored towards yeah. men behaving badly yeah one hundred percent
1: and so that I mean I think there's companies like there's companies that absolutely recognize that right it's not a it's not a wellness strategy it's not a culturally it's not a st- strategy that's fair and equitable right? they know for a fact if they put this group together and you know and depending on the role like sales teams are infamous for it right they're the somewhat toxic role anyway but then you put that together and if it's a culture of you know you know old boys club and a culture of you know everything that goes along with that nonsense it's just fucking terrible right?
0: Yeah. Well, I just wonder, as we start to wrap up the conversation, what you want people to know about yourself, what you're trying to do in this world, how are you being helpful? And I'm going to ask a question that I ask a lot of people. What do you, what do you think you learned from everything? Like this experience, like what has this taught you?
1: Yeah. Great wrap up questions. So part of what I'm continuing on and I'm shifting out of, so I got another book coming out um, hopefully this summer, toward the end of the summer, that's called um, Fuck My Demons. And that's a little Fuck more- Fuck
0: My Demons, I love it. So punk more, rock.
1: <laughs> a little more provocative. So that'll be the last in the series of of the books I've written, the nonfiction books that I've written. And, and I'll tie this all together here in a second. Um, and so, and then I'm, I've got my first- fiction book coming out. So I'm shifting off nonfiction into fiction because I just want to kind of round out the experience of writing. And I've always wanted to write a fiction book. From Um, a dude
0: who says he's not a natural writer, written more books than anybody I know.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, it's, and I'm, I'm doing some, I'm co-writing it using OpenAI. So it's kind of a project that's like super, super, a little bizarre and so much fun. It's ridiculously big
0: fun. It's (laughs) awesome.
1: So, so, but in doing all of that, i ha- I incorporate into all of like the fiction writing, I've got people who struggle with addiction, like substance use disorder. Like I have that, and get help and don't get help, right? So I weave it into just every story that I tell everywhere i I can do it, right? I'm not I wouldn't say that I'm you know i'm i, I don't want to be preachy about it cuz everybody's got their journey and, and people being preachy to me just made me want to not do it anymore makes
0: me want to drink more yeah
1: right like you literally just want to prove all that wrong so the biggest thing that i've learned is every tolerance has a lot of different like in with yourself and and cutting yourself a break all of that has a lot of different levels of how that happens. And so I have some things that I feel very strongly about, like in society today, that I am absolutely 100% intolerant of. You shouldn't ever let that go, right? But I tend to structure my life so that that's very situational like I when I have the energy and I'm in the right space I can contribute to the conversation and support the right thing to do Um, but the most of the time that's not the case right I'm just trying to take care of my own shit and self-care and be a good human being and a partner to my my wife and a good stepfather to my to our kids and and just be a decent person to be around and. That takes uh, a lot of intention. It takes a lot of work, and and so what I've learned is you can't really coast very long because you'll end up. What'll happen is you you feel a, a an element of respite for about a second, and then you'll feel bad because you know, right? Yeah, that's so true. That's well, that's what I've learned. Listen, listen, listen to the good people I'm around, and to myself a little bit more on just doing the right thing.
0: Well, I'm so glad you shared your story, shared some insights and have shared your journey with me. And also, I'm so glad that we're friends, like I'm a better person for it. So when you work on your shit, and you take care of yourself, you're a great friend and a mentor to me. So thank you for that.
1: Well, I I absolutely, absolutely could not have articulated that any better. I've, I've loved our Always valued and and loved our friendship. And it's exactly the same when you share and uh, our our personalities have a lot of similar things. And we have some things that are a bit different. And I love that because it just it it helps challenge areas that I get to work on. And And you have to have that. And from my opinion, you have to have that.
0: Yeah, I don't want a friend like me because I can barely stand myself. <laughs> you know? That's how that goes for me. <laughs> well, Brian, thanks again for being a guest.
1: Good. Uh, thank you for the invite. I love the conversation. I appreciate uh, everything you're doing with this. You know, with with the project and these conversations because it all does help because people connect with. You got to connect with something. You don't connect with something, you're you're kind of you're kind of just floating, right? So I really project.
0: thanks. The Corporate Drinker podcast is a special series brought to you by Punk Rock HR. If you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite streaming platform and leave a five star rating and a review. You can also head on over to PunkRockHR.com for news information, show notes, and all the good stuff related to Corporate Drinker. This episode was expertly produced and edited by my friends at Emerald City Productions with special help from Danny and Michael. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Corporate Drinker Podcast.